Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. I'm John Herding here with Rob Rubina, Ray Carr, and Nick Perugini. And today our question is, does joint position matter? Um, so many would say no. We happen to think yes in most scenarios, if not all scenarios. Um, but basically, the way, the way that um, we look at it is you want to put the body in the best position to succeed, whether you're um, in pain and you need to get out of pain or you're trying to pull a house. You want to make sure that you can do it um, where everything's mechanically as efficient as it can possibly be. Um, so starting out from like a, a physical therapy standpoint where we're trying to get people out of pain, um, I'm going to think about impingements, whether it's a shoulder impingement or a hip impingement first. Um, and when we're going through our screening process, um, as therapists, as strength coaches, we all recognize asymmetries. Um, sometimes we address them and sometimes we don't. Um, and it goes back to, you know, whatever your philosophy is or your screening process, like, do you believe that some of these asymmetries matter? Um, again, we feel like they do. We don't always prescribe exercises um, symmetrically because people are, aren't symmetrical beings um, for various reasons. But um, going back to recognizing um, joint position through a screening process, whether it's range of motion or muscle length testing or whatever, um, how are we going to optimize mechanical efficiency? Um, so back to impingements and impingements to us are just the body's way of looking for stability. Um, why in a, in a bony change, why has um, through Wolf's law, there been a buildup of bone in a point of stress? Is it because someone's putting more stress in the anterior part of their acetabulum in their hip that they've built up, um, you know, a bony restriction? Um, is it a true impingement in the hip or the shoulder, or is it just a femur or a humeral head riding forward in the joint, and how can we affect that? Um, so as we recognize asymmetries through a screening process, um, we then craft maybe the next step or two of, hey, maybe I can manually help this person get into a better position and then lock it down with an exercise. Or maybe this exercise or this breathing technique can put people, someone in a better position to clear um, an impingement or put someone in a mechanically um, advantageous position that gets them out of pain, pain pretty quickly. Um, often we can, we can make those changes and have a quick effect, and that's when we can get buy-in pretty quickly from, from our patients. Um, you know, so that's how we're looking at it, or at least I'm looking at it through a physical therapy get someone out of pain perspective is, you know, if a car is out of alignment, I'm not going to keep driving the car in a less mechanically advantageous position. So how can I get the car back aligned or that shoulder back aligned to help someone um, quickly relieve pain and then move in a better position? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think in terms of getting into the right position, uh, the main thing with it is you're going to only improve, you know, stability and a foundation to then, you know, build your exercise program on and your training uh, session on. Um, so that's one of the main reasons why, you know, I find it, you know, really important. Um, that can be done a, a number of ways. Sometimes it's a joint mobilization. Sometimes 
it's you know getting certain muscles activated to you know close an outlet or open uh an inlet or something so uh rob how do you like to use it upstairs yeah i think i think to me when i'm thinking about does position matter uh yes it does matter um and and how i'm you know i don't know if that's simple but you know how i how i look at positions is from a couple different standpoints um one i agree with what john's saying from a i would say more of like a you know a structural positional is definitely important um but from a from a technique standpoint from a form standpoint the position that you're in while you're doing the exercise that matters um because if our goal is to optimize performance, we need to be in the best position possible to be able to accept load and produce high amounts of force. Um, and where everyone talks about improving movement quality. So if your goal is to improve movement quality, uh, which is pretty much defined as, you know, the ability to move optimally, I would say, in any different patterns, um, whether it's walking, running, jumping, pushing, pulling, whatever it might be, throwing, um, you need to make sure they're in the best position while they're doing those activities as possible, which, which just breaks down the good technique. Um, so making sure they have good technique during the exercise so they don't hurt themselves and they can produce high amounts of force. That's pretty much what I'm thinking about when, when I'm coaching an exercise is, okay, what position are they in? You know, if we're talking about a deadlift. Are their knees forward? Are their knees back? If their knees are forward, they're not in a good position. They're going to use their quads and pull with their back. So we need to better position them to have better technique to be able to more effectively and safely use their hips and their glutes and, and stay nice and stable through the, the trunk to perform the exercise deadlift. Um, so that, that, that's how I'm approaching uh, position, technique, form, is how can we put someone in a safe position to not hurt them and to produce high amounts of force and, and strength? Yeah, yeah, I think um, improved joint position is improved um, performance and injury prevention, right? Um, like you said, maximal load is going to be moved by a joint that's in a good centrated position where um, you know a femur is perfect, is positioned well in an acetabulum, so you can disperse force through that. Um, and then that's in turn gonna gonna prevent injury because you're moving in the most mechanically advantageous position. Yeah, and I think in terms of uh, position, one thing uh, you know, we all agree on is breathing is you know a huge aspect of that. Um, the diaphragm obviously plays a huge role not only in breathing but you know versatility as well. You know, it mixes in right with your what transverse abdominis, pelvic floor. Uh, in terms of, you know, transferring, you know, energy and absorbing uh, stress throughout the whole kinetic chain. Um, so breathing is something that should definitely not be overlooked in terms of uh, gaining proper position and maintaining it for, you know, accepting large loads and lifting uh, heavy weights. Yeah, and I think with the breathing, it's, um, you know, helping to find that will help you diaphragm will help you find position to create pressure through your system for good trunk stability. Um, and, and that's where I think the magic is instead of, you know, trying to rely on trunk stability for, by using abs and, and low back and, um, people lighting up their low backs because of that. Like if you can build pressure from the inside out by, 
properly positioning um, diaphragm and pelvic floor, then I think you can you build from there. Um, but I think you look at some of the best athletes in the world who have had long extended careers, um, like a Yamir Yager, who I think is still playing at a high level of hockey over in like Czech Republic or something. Like you, you look at pictures of them and Jamie Moyer is a good example. He played for the Phillies um, in their world series run. Right. And he played close to 50 in the major leagues. Like you look at their joint positions when they're taking a shot or when um, they're throwing a pitch and just general movement and, you can see that they're in good mechanically advantageous positions. Um, whereas we all know guys that break down or they're injury prone, like a Tim Winsicum, right? It's because they have these, these movement patterns that aren't in the most mechanically advantageous positions. And um, they might be able to reach a high level, but how long are they going to be able to maintain that high level of performance? Um, if they're not moving in, you know, maybe the most mechanically efficient position um, for themselves. I think, you know, it's joint. First of all, all this stuff is great so far. Um, you know, I also want to add from a, a physical therapy, you know, perspective or an evaluation perspective, you know, joint position becomes very important when, when we're screening and we're evaluating, you know, range of motion and, and especially joint play. You know, I guess, I guess one example that unfortunately I hear often is, you know, a patient goes into to physical therapy and, you know, maybe they do a, a, a standing toe touch or even, even a straight leg raise. And, you know, for some reason, the test is limited. And, you know, I think a traditional, you know, physical therapist may look at that as, hey, maybe that's hamstring tightness. Uh, we're going we're gonna to just stretch the hamstrings. And, you know, I think we all know here that just because a, you, you, you find a reduced straight leg raise or a limited toe touch and you can't just use that finding and correlate that to tightness and so when we look at you know our conversations in the past about stretching and, and foam rolling you know i think that stuff's all good and well except we have to look at position first and so if, if we're not taking into consideration our you know position of our our proximal segments right our our hip joint our shoulder joint and how those interact with our, you know, cervical, thoracic, and lumbar spines and our ribs, you know, then, then we're doing, we're not doing that the patient or athlete, you know, um, are a great service. So position matters in the evaluation of our, of our patient. And then ultimately that's going to impact our, our interventions. So, you know, joint position, no matter what, you know, matters first. And I think that's where our, our, our breathing work comes in, our 90-90s, our stuff like that, because it, it helps us find a potential neutral position, which then allows for a better assessment of our peripheral joints. So in, in, in my opinion, that's where position matters. And, and what I'm going to say, position matters, it matters in that case. Now, I'll say sometimes it, it will, doesn't matter when maybe we're loading a specific um, it's a specific injury or an acute injury. Now, at the same point, you know, your, your position is also going to matter when you're loading that, that structure, but not, not so much um, if we're just trying to increase the capacity. Of it. But like Rob said, if it's a performance issue, position is number one. I mean, guys, is there any scenario that you can think of where you don't think position matters? I mean, first, I'll try to answer that first. I, I can't think 
I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that comes to mind. The, the only thing I can maybe think of, which I, I don't know if this, is, if this even works as an answer, is, you know, from a max deadlift standpoint where someone might have thoracic, excessive thoracic flexion while they're holding so much weight in their hands, right? Where they have a rounded upper back. Um, you, we would all possibly agree that that might not be a good position, right? Position doesn't matter for that person. Now, why doesn't it matter for that person? Because all that matters is to lift as much weight as possible. If they're relying on bony stability, thoracic flexion, to lift as much weight as possible. That's the only scenario I can think of where their position doesn't matter. What I would say, position mattered up until that point so that they had that rep to give because they haven't been lifting like that leading up to that point. I mean, that, that's what I would say. Like, position still matters because then they save that rep for the competition where anything goes. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you could, you know, you could say, you know, if that person's in a better position, are they deadlifting a higher number for that one RM, you know? Um, I mean, with a rounded back, right. Typically uh, it's a longer pull then too. Um, yeah. So. But a, a heavy deadlift never looks good. Yeah. Right. Like a, a max rep deadlift ever. Yeah. I just always think, you know, good positions, a good foundation and you're only as strong as that foundation. Yeah. So in terms of doing anything, whether it's a one RM, three RM, uh, you know, the better foundation you have, you know, better outcomes. But I mean, I think it allows you to give that rep that isn't so, so good. Right. Right. Um, I've got one example of when maybe position wouldn't matter. And once again, this, this doesn't relate to our performance um, population, but maybe more to a, a population who is dealing with some uh, fear, fearfulness of movement, uh, or someone who's scared to move. And they're scared to move a certain way because maybe they, they were told from a, a previous doctor, previous clinician, previous surgery, that they can never you know bend over, or that they can never round their back again because um, you're, you know, a jelly donut's going to pop out of your spine, you know, cause you, cause you damage and to be able to, you know, teach someone that they can, you know, move and, you know, not necessarily with any significant load, um, but move in any, any, any way they are, they would like to, um, is a, is a position, is a example of when you're not stressing position because your ultimate goal is to, you know, increase the, uh, the patient's confidence in their ability to move and to decrease fear. So I, I think you bring up a good point, uh, Nick. Like we're looking at this from a performance standpoint. Like if you're looking at someone and you're just trying to get them to move, like just go out and move. Um, and I have – I've found myself cueing position a little bit less um, as I've become more of a clini- – uh, like a more seasoned clinician just because – yes, there are times where I'm, I'm cueing um, minutiae but there's also times where I just want people to move and, you know, if I'm rehabbing an ACL, like maybe initially I want them to be very finite and understand how they should be moving, but eventually they need to be resilient and be able to do a lunge or a squat in something that's not perfect form right. so that when they get back on the playing field. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm not cueing that under like heavy load, like a, you know, um, exactly. heavy back squat, but if I'm just having them, jump land and on landing I'm knocking them around a little bit or I just want them to do a, a lunge matrix or 
um, a body, you know, a squat that's well under, you know, like a body weight squat. Like I'm not cueing perfect form all the time because there's going to be times in competition where they might not be there and they still have to be strong or resilient in positions that aren't perfect. So that might be a time when I think it might not matter. Yeah. And I think, I mean, sometimes, you know, in terms of cueing less is more anyway. Um, John, earlier you mentioned, you know, Jamie Moyer and Lincecum, right? Obviously one has, you know, had a, you know, good, you know, really sound mechanics uh, and Moyer, Lincecum, a little bit, you know, uh, you know, abnormal, peculiar in terms of pitching mechanics. But uh, I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on like interjecting in those mechanics and, you know, for maybe long-term longevity, but, you know, at what price for, you know, performance? Um, so that's a great question. You hear that all the time. I think in baseball too, um, where you say, oh, this guy's going to break down or it looks like he's going to break down or he's got faulty mechanics or, you know, his arm's going to explode if he continues to throw that way. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind to me is like if someone isn't moving optimally and they're starting to feel or see a decrease in performance, I would definitely inject from a, from a mechanical standpoint. Um, if someone has pitched that way forever and they've had no problems and they are still performing at a high level, I would possibly educate them on what they can think about to do differently. And it's up to them to choose if they want to or not. So I think it depends on the case, but um, if, for example, you guys are familiar with like the inverted W from a pitching standpoint, right? The inverted W is traditionally said not to be super good for the, for the shoulders, the elbows, you know? Um, so I think that's a scenario that I, you know, you might see maybe like a younger athlete, a high school athlete who might not have any problems, might has pitched well, but we know as, as coaches that that's not a good position for the arms and elbows to be in. Um, that, that would definitely be a scenario that I would, that would, I would interject um, some of my thoughts on, the, on their pitching mechanics. So, uh, you know, I think from a positional standpoint, we want people to move optimally on the mound to help decrease stress on the shoulder and elbow um, and, you know, teach kids to use their hips and, and rotate effectively so they can throw hard and, and continue to pitch for as long as they can. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, going, taking this all the way back to the beginning, I think um, Nick, you alluded to it a little bit. Like, are they in, you know, an impingement position because it's a stability problem that they just need to strengthen certain things that will actually find them better um, position and better mobility. Um, I think it's being good with your screening process. You know that you can be, you know, narrow down one shot, one kill and really find the problem of, Hey, you know what? Like maybe we don't need to crank on these, um, these certain stretches um, that, you know, there's a certain that, that we, there's a certain, bunch that we don't do regularly Nick you said one of them like a hamstring stretch but um, make sure before you're moving someone into a stretch a position you want to stretch make sure they're in a, a good joint position um, before you just start cranking on structures that you might end up hurting them more because you haven't truly assessed hey you know what if I just strengthen this or I get them to exhale this way for better position like 
I don't need to spend time stretching. I don't need to waste the time and I'm not going to be cranking into structures and ultimately maybe setting up for future injury down the road. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge point, John. And when, when I had that realization, you know, it really changed, you know, how I you know, look at some, some of the things I was doing. And, you know, for, you know, one example is, you know, just because you, you're feeling tight or you're feeling stiff doesn't mean you actually are. And, you know, there, there's a, there's a camp out there and that will mobilize anything and everything. And, you know, you're able to do that through, you know, jump stretch bands and self mobilization. The problem is, is it lies in exactly what you just said, where if you're going to be applying a mobilization, or you're going to be applying a prolonged stretch or a dynamic mobilization at end range of motion, you, know, you better know what structure you're affecting and what you're impacting. And because there is a, a possibility that you are, you know, negatively impacting passive structures. So understanding that, understanding that concept is a, is a game changer really in, in how you look at your interventions, how you look at the joint position. I think for a lot of, you know, non-physical therapists or, or coaches who are, you know, coaching, you know, group fitness or, or whatever it is, those are often just a quick go-to because it's a quick modulation of symptoms but you may actually be causing long-term, um, you know, long-term negative impacts to, to the, act, the actual passive structures of the joints. So to summarize, just get strong, right, Rob? That's it. Lift weights and get bench press. <laughs> um, thanks for listening again, guys. Uh, this is Training Room Talk. Until next time, talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.